When a little boy is kidnapped, turned into a child soldier, forced to kill or be killed, that's slavery. When a little girl is sold by her impoverished family, girls my daughter's age, runs away from home or is lured by the false promise of a better life and then imprisoned in a brothel and tortured if she resists, that's slavery. It is barbaric and it is evil and it has no place in a civilized world. That's President Obama talking about the horrors of modern slavery at the Clinton Global Initiative in 2012. I remember listening to the speech when it first came out nearly five years ago now. And I was proud at that moment to have a national leader that took this human rights violation seriously, but also one who was willing and able to acknowledge the role of the church in the fight against this human rights violation. Listen to this. We are especially honored to be joined today by advocates who dedicate their lives and at times risk their lives to liberate victims and help them recover. This includes men and women of faith who, like the great abolitionists before them, are truly doing the Lord's work. Evangelicals, the Catholic Church, International Justice Mission, and World Relief. Even individual congregations like Passion City Church in Atlanta. And so many young people of faith who've decided that their conscience compels them to act in the face of injustice. And groups like these are answering the Bible's call to seek justice and rescue the oppressed. Some of them join us today and we are grateful for your leadership. Today we're very excited to have Nicole Braddock Bromley as our guest on Storied Living. Nicole is the founder of One Voice and the founder and executive director of One Voice for Freedom, a nonprofit organization stopping child sex trafficking around the world. In 2010, Nicole began a campaign across East Africa to stamp out child sexual abuse and trafficking and was the first woman to ever give a public address on the topics of sexual abuse and child sex slavery in the country of Uganda. Nicole is the author of three books, including Hush, Moving from Silence to Healing After Childhood Sexual Abuse. And we're pleased to have her as a guest tonight to talk not only about her work as an author, but also her development of nonprofits aimed at stopping sex trafficking. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for being with us today. It's good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Brian. How are you? Doing really well. Yeah. Well, hey, we want to jump in with some questions. Um, and I've known you for a lot of years, but not everybody does know you. So can you start by telling us some of your story, um, who you are and how you got to where you are today? And what are some of the defining moments along your along your journey? Sure. Well, um, my name's Nicole Braddock Bromley. I, uh, I grew up in just a small Midwest American town. Um, and really growing up, everyone who knew me considered me the perfect girl from the perfect family. And, you know, I was real involved in school and successful, had a lot of friends. My life seemed pretty ideal growing up. Um, but what everyone saw on the outside, you know, that big smile I wore to school every day really masked a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion that was actually going on on the inside. And, um, I was sexually abused for nearly a decade of my childhood by my stepfather a man who I loved and trusted and who was really respected in our community. But I was afraid to tell. 
And, um, you know, for many reasons why many abuse survivors are afraid to tell. But I finally found the courage to tell my mom when I was 14. And I think that was a very defining moment of my life, bringing me to where I am today. Um, I look back on my healing journey and as hard as it was for me to break my silence then, um, now I look back and I'm so glad I did because mm. I think the first step to healing from something like sexual trauma as a kid or even as an adult is breaking your silence, telling your story. Right. Um, so that I think was the first defining moment. And then the second would be um, about a year later, I attended a summer camp, a Christian camp that um, I still hadn't really told any of my peers about my story. Um, my stepfather took his own life right after I told, and I really went back into a shell. I didn't want anyone to know. I was still very ashamed. I didn't want to know, want anyone to know what I'd gone through. And so I kind of just packed it up and locked it back up. But then a year later, I went to this camp and I got up in front of a number of my peers, my entire youth group, and I told my story publicly <laughs> for the first time. Wow. And I was scared to death and it was really awkward, but I went home from that camp and I started getting letters and letters from other kids that were at that camp mm. who gave me their stories. Every single one of them for the first time um, had never told anyone. And so that was probably the most defining moment of my entire life was realizing that there were people out there who'd gone through the same thing as me. Yeah. They had lives that looked like mine. And they were holding this secret and this story in, um, and they just needed someone else to come out and say, you know, this happened to me so that they could say me too. And I felt right. like that was a defining moment for me and my story where God sort of like placed his hand on me and said, Nicole, you can be used to bring those stories out of the woodwork to allow other people to say me too, and thus begin their healing journeys like mm -hmm. you have. Yeah. Nice. You have such powerful stories. Thanks for sharing that right away with us. So how does your, you know, you can keep uh, talking about some of your story and how that resulted in you founding One Voice Enterprises over a decade ago, I, th I think. Um, tell yeah, us a little bit. Yeah. 15 years now. Wow. Tell us how that became, you know, how you started that and what's up with One Voice right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I went to college and, you know, I was an athlete in college and I still really wanted to be defined by other things. <laughs> I didn't want people to know me as a sexual abuse survivor or a speaker mm -hmm. on these topics. But at the same time, I had a real heart to make a difference in that area. I wanted to be a voice. Um, so I really wrestled with that a lot in my college years. Um, I went to counseling in college. I really was working through some of my stuff to be able to be a voice and to work in that field. Um, but I, none of my friends knew what I'd gone through. So it took a while, uh, for me to get to that point. But my senior year of college, I remember, um, I was shadowing some women at a local rape crisis center because that's the work I wanted to do. And they were, you know, giving a PowerPoint about the issues of harassment and abuse and assault. And I said, you know, I think these kids would, um, you know, relate more to a real life story. And so they said, well, if you can find a survivor who's brave enough to but no. And I was like, okay, here's my chance. So I feel like um, from that moment forward, it was like God was opening doors for me to share. And even though I was scared to death, once I walked through that door and was willing to share my story, 
um, and do it in a, in a way that, you know, God would really be proud of me in doing, I feel like he continued to open more doors. And so that, yeah. that started right out of college. I started one voice right out of college and, um, it just seemed like, um, a lot of times I, I mean, even now, 14 years later, I still get nervous every single time I speak. And I think God just says, do it scared. And that's sort of mm. been my mantra this whole time is, is I feel so empowered to be this voice, but I'm still afraid. And so, you know, one voice has been all about just educating and raising awareness of sexual abuse, rape, trafficking, um, creating a platform for prevention, providing a real life speaker with a real life story, you know, full of hope and healing, just breaking the ice for dialogue on campuses, uh, conferences, churches, just any place that's willing to really, you know, pull their heads out of the sand and let's talk about these issues and do something about changing our culture. So that's what One Voice has been about. And what I've been about the last 14 years of my life is just doing it scared and, and seeing the impact that it makes because it really does make a difference. Wow, that's awesome. And and one of the things we do with Storied Living is have people share their stories. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really cool. I mean, I look at you and watch you tell your story uh, again and again and, and and doing it scared is it can be difficult, but it, to watch it change lives is is really cool. Nicole, I want to follow up what you're saying because so much of your story that you're sharing right now is this story of courage, and uh, both courage to speak up when you were you know a young woman, and uh, courage to found one voice, courage to write a book, courage to go speak, and even as you're talking about doing it scared, which is a great, I want to make that into a t-shirt. Even as you uh, talk about that, there is so much, um, there is so much like courage that you're exhibiting as well. And I think that one of the things when people are trying to live and lead faithfully, uh, there's so much paralysis of fear that goes on. Could you, could you just go on and talk a little bit more about, you know, how has God kind of equipped you to be uh, brave in your fear and to have that courage. I think that would be really helpful for our listeners. Yeah. Well, I just think knowing it makes a difference. You know, if, if I didn't know and I didn't see the outcomes, even years later, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't be as brave as I am. But every single time I speak, I see the light bulb turn on for people. Um, people who've been held captive by their secrets or the pain that's defined them for their whole lives. And they didn't know what it was. And so being able to help someone label what happened to them as abuse or something like that, so they can then begin their healing journey. They can then find their freedom and live out their purposes. It's a really rewarding thing. And so having seen that over the past years, that's what helps me find that bravery. And also just knowing what I'm called to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times we just wrestle with our calling and with our purpose. And um, when you really feel like God has put his thumb on you and said, you know, you can do this, you know, you've been made for this. Yeah. I think that that kind of gives you the courage to step out and try things. Right. Um, you know, there's been times, you know, I've been overseas, you know, in Cambodia in the brothels and and dealing with the sex trafficked girls there and, and just hearing their stories and my heart would just become broken for them, you know? And so it, 
I think a lot of times it comes down to, it's not just about your story. It's about the story of other people. Yeah. Nice. And so when God breaks your heart for something in this world, for an injustice in this world, you have to look at that and say, God, you know, you're breaking my heart for what breaks yours. Now, what do you want me to do about it? Mm-hmm. He wouldn't right. break our hearts for no reason. Right. So you find yourself passionate about something here on earth, especially if it's an issue of injustice and something that you can actually make a difference in, even if it's just a tiny dent. You know, I think that that is what can drive a person like you or me to do whatever we can to stop it or to make a difference in just one other person's life. Um, yeah, I just think that that's one, one way that I personally just find bravery that's outside of myself. Nice. For something nice. bigger than me. Right, right. Good. Uh, Nicole, a lot of, uh, I know my first interaction with you over 10 years ago, and uh, many people have their first interactions with you around your book, Hush, mm-hmm. uh, and the work that you're doing and, and speaking about childhood sexual abuse. More recently, you mentioned Cambodia, and you've been in Cambodia a number of times. Mm-hmm. Talk about the work you're doing there and what's going on with your work in Cambodia. Okay, yeah. Well, Hush really came out after my first few years of traveling and speaking. I just was meeting an astounding number of sexual abuse victims that were, you know, holding in this secret, painful thing. So I was inspired to write Hush to help those survivors find their voice to reveal the truth about sexual abuse and just give hope that, you know, we can all move from silence to healing. And I found that to be an incredible resource over the past number of years. Many people have found it to be just a really good friend um, to survivors who are just navigating that healing journey. And so I'm really still in awe as to how uh, God just uses it in people's lives, just from all backgrounds. And it's been really cool. And so that kind of translated into um, me receiving emails. <laughs> I mean, emails and emails from survivors. And I started to see a trend of survivors who were telling me they'd been trafficked. Hmm. And so this common thread of with the trafficking survivors telling Hmm. me they ran away from home, a home like mine. And I always wanted to run away, but I didn't. And here I'm hearing these stories I can relate to. I wanted to run away. They did. And they ran right into the arms of these, you know, finesse pimps and traffickers here in the States. And with, promising them everything they'd ever dreamed of their father didn't give them. And so I could totally relate to that. And so I started getting passionate about this issue. And so from that point, I started to just educate myself more in that realm of human trafficking. And I just started praying and asking God to use me as a voice for those who were enslaved. And I really felt passionate for those who were not only enslaved here, but in foreign lands. And so I was praying that. And then about nine months later, I was invited uh, by some of my friends at um, Life Outreach International to go to Cambodia undercover with one of their film crews to shed mm. light on the modern-day slavery there. And so going to Cambodia was um, a very traumatic experience for me, but it was really what prompted me to then start my new nonprofit, One Voice for Freedom, which is all about anti-trafficking work. And so... Um, what we do now with the Cambodia um, mission is to beat traffickers to the villages that they target. So these traffickers are targeting specific, very, very poor villages and promising parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles, whoever are in charge of these kids, 
um, with, you know, money. They're, they're going to educate these children. They're going to give them jobs right. and they just have to sign away for two years. And, you know, these kids never come back because they're made into sex slaves at the age of eight. Wow. So, um, what we do is I go over there and I wait for a $3 pair of shoes. Um, an entire family will sit down and listen to my education presentation on anti-trafficking. And then they pledge not to sell their child. Hmm. So it's been a very cool grassroots way of fighting sex trafficking before it starts. Um, and so that's kind of how Hush ended up over there. It's now translated into their language and very cool to be able to hand that book out um, also in the public school system. Wow, that is really cool. Yeah. Tell nice. us, I, I know the story, but t- tell the story about the, the book being translated and how that, how that happened and the people you worked with to make that happen. Oh yeah. Well, basically, um, we just raised the, the money to be able to do it here. And then I work with missionaries that are over there. Um, they translated it for me and, um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> we, uh, we printed it. We printed 8,000 of them. And, um, when I go, I don't just go to the villages. I go also into the public schools, which is really cool because, Mm. um, hush, my book hush is filled with the gospel. And, um, so it's really neat that they allow that book because they love having any kind of a resource or books for these kids. I mean, they just don't have a lot there. And so to be able to hand out this book that tells my story, it gives hope to survivors of sexual abuse, which over there is about one in two, like 50 kids have are being sexually abused in the home and or wherever and um so to be able to talk about that issue and then bring jesus into the conversation is just incredible in the public school system so um i just feel like it's a really great way a really great resource for us to make available we make it for free and it's all just through funding of our from our nonprofit one voice for freedom nice Nicole, do you have any um particular stories from the work in cambodia uh about you know, a kid that you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the first time I went there, I interviewed 10 girls that were working, you know, they were just in a locked tiny room with nothing in their room, but a blanket on the floor and a little bowl of rice in the corner. It was just so heartbreaking and they were locked in there and having to service eight to 10 men a night. And so it was really difficult for me to hear their stories and not just rip them out of there. Um, but we, uh, partnered with, local NGOs that ended up um, doing their rescues after we had um, left. And so that was very inspiring to me. Uh, And then honestly, the most amazing story that came out of Cambodia um, was the story of a mom. And this mom, whenever I speak on college campuses about trafficking, I always share her video. She was um, tricked by traffickers. She was a single mom with two little girls, and she put her little girls on a bus thinking that she was going to provide for them the life that she couldn't do on her own. And ended up those girls were taken by a trafficker. One of them came back um, two years later in a coma Mm -hmm. with an eye gouged out, ended up dying. And the other one she, you know, hadn't seen or heard from again, and it had been years and years. And mm. she just wept with me and just prayed with me. We led her to the Lord. And um, I just was broken for her story, you know, just as much as the girls. She just, she'd sold everything that she had to find her girls and to also 
get medical treatment for the one that died. And it was just heartbreaking to see her go through that. And that's really why I started One Voice for Freedom was to stop that from ever starting, you know, to meet a mom like that and to tell her about trafficking so she would know not to believe these guys. And um, so we followed her story for from the get go um, since 2012. And we've supported her. We bought her a home. Uh, last year on my trip, I met her and we, we bought her home. And then, um, we just supported her story because she too is a victim of trafficking. Right. And, um, just two months ago in June, I received a message that her youngest daughter was returned. Oh, wow. That was so inspiring to me because, you know, when you're doing this work of social justice and, you know, you're, you're really just at the front lines and it can get really, hard you know Mm -hmm. you just sometimes wonder if your work really matters because this mom every time i've seen her she just weeps and immediately her first question did you find my daughter and i'm just Mm -hmm. like she needs to give up she needs to give up hope her daughter's dead i've literally had those thoughts and then to have that story come back redemption you know it was just so encouraging to me to keep up the fight, you know, because it really does matter. And these are real people and we can't lose hope. We have to have hope until the end. And so that has, um, that's really kept me going this summer, you know, with ups and downs of doing this freedom fighting work. It's not easy, but to have a story like that, especially the one that my nonprofit was founded upon was really encouraging. Wow. You know, it's it's really amazing that you um, keep telling these stories because they sound like fiction to us, really. I mean, when because we we sit in such positions of privilege, um, we hear these stories and they're they're um, frankly seem unreal and that these things of, uh, you know, that could be um, fictional stories, movies, you know, taken, et cetera, that no, these things are really happening to real people. This is a real mom, and those were really her, you know, really her daughters, and it's heartbreaking. And I think that that's really important because this is a woman who lives in one of the poorest areas of the entire world. Hmm. Her story would never have been known except that we are telling it. Right. This is an incredible story of hope, of redemption, you know, and and I think you're right. Like storytelling is so important because how would anyone ever know about that story? Mm weren't here to tell it. She can't tell it. She has no way of, of, of sharing her story. You know, she doesn't have a computer. She probably doesn't mm-hmm. have a phone. So I think you're right. I think the storytelling is so crucial to our culture and just bringing some little tiny story from this, you know, no name village on the other side of the world where they make less than a dollar a day and mm-hmm. bring it over to our world. I think you're right. I think it's so very vital to our lives. Nice. What do you, as someone who's told their own story uh, on a regular basis and now tells the stories of others, like this mom, what do you think, because storytelling is a theme and we're, we're talking about that right now, what do you think it is about telling a story that is different than, say, um, you know, a teenager thumbing through Facebook and seeing a post on, uh, you know, stop sex trafficking and they like it and they, and they keep moving what is it about the power of story? I think it just is tangible for people. They can feel it. They can taste it. They can put themselves in that situation in their shoes. Um, 
And I think really today, especially young people crave authenticity. They mm-hmm. crave people that are transparent and real. Um, they can see through the fakeness, you know, mm-hmm. the pretty things. They just want to see things that are real. Um, so I think when it comes to storytelling and versus statistics and, you know, just education, I think it lets people in. I think they feel like a part of it. And it's almost like it's something that they could then take and tell someone else. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's something that they can feel and they can almost wrap themselves into it too and become a part of it, yeah. you know? Um, there's always something from my story that someone can relate to mm-hmm. even if they've not been abused for some reason. It's because it's a real person standing before them. They're listening and they're looking at you and they're wanting to relate in some way. And even though they may not have been abused, there's something there that they can grab onto. And so if I was just teaching them the basics and the definition, there wouldn't be that. Mm-hmm. So I think that it just draws people in. That's why reality TV is, you know, so popular today. It's mm-hmm. like it's just real people. People are fascinating. They're, they're kind of real people. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. So you, whether it's um, uh, being in schools and churches talking about your own story, about books, or the work you're doing in Cambodia, you talk to a lot of young people. What are you hearing over and over again? Are you picking up on things in recent months, you know, the past year that are, are themes with young people you're seeing? Well, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying about just the authenticity, just wanting people to be transparent before them being real. I think that's just a real, um, I, a real draw for, especially the younger generation, the college generation, um, just because they, they could shut down very quickly when they feel like someone's too polished. Um, it's just fake to them. So I think that's one thing. And then the other thing I think is just, they, they really want to see equality. Um, Mm -hmm. like when I share my story, they want to know that there's a guy that's been through this too. Mm -hmm. Or, um, they don't want to just always hear about the same evangelical talk. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to hear people from all different types of life, honestly. Um, so I think just, um, wanting to be fair. They want it to be fair to all types because a lot of times these days, young people, they're experiencing so many different things. They come from so many different places and now we're all together and we're sharing our stories all together. And that's a fascinating thing. We're learning about one another. So it's like, we don't want this to just be where, where we all look the same anymore. And I think that's really exciting. Hmm. You know, we're sharing stories so that we understand that, you know, one abuse survivor can look like this, but another one can look like this. Mm. Um, and that's okay. You know, it's, we're not all the same. One Christian can look like this and one Christian can look like this. And one of them might have this struggle, but then this one has this struggle, but we can all talk about it. So I think that that is one thing that I've really noticed. Um, but I think it's a really good thing that we're moving towards personally. I think Mm. it's exciting that, We're not all trying to paint a picture and we're not all striving to be like this certain perfect college student, you know, Christian, uh, you know, pastor or, you know, a conservative Republican. Like we're not all striving to this one place. 
but we can all like kind of navigate our journeys and figure out who we are amongst a whole group of other people that are doing the same thing. I think that's really exciting. You know, we're all accepting of one another where they're at. And I think that's really what Jesus does. He meets us where we're at and we do this journey with him and we're doing it in community and we're loving each other along the way. And so I think that that's what young men and women in the schools and churches um, have really shown me. And and it's a cool thing. Do you think that that's different? So uh, the first time that I, I met you was over 10 years ago a dozen years ago on a college campus when I had you come speak there to young men and women, would you say that what you're seeing now is different in any way than it was a decade ago? Sure. I mean, that is completely different, Hmm. especially on the Christian university campuses. Hmm. Um, Yeah, because I think, well, you still run into the typical Christian college student who's trying to, live up to the stereotype of what a Christian college student looks like, you know, that has not changed at all. There's still a lot of pressure on those campuses for those students. And so when I come, it's always like for them, wow, like you mean I can talk about the stuff that I went through Mm. and it's okay. Right. I can actually say that I have a struggle on this campus where everyone looks perfect and they come from perfect families. And it just like breaks that. It just shatters that whole stereotype. And I Mm -hmm. love that. I love being able to enter campus and tell students you don't have to be the stereotypical Christian college kid because no one here is. (laughs) You know, so that's exciting. Um, But I do see that that's still very common. But I also see that there's a, a whole new level, a whole new group of, of people who are kind of more like I am now where I want to break that mold on my campus. And they're actually there already. And they're saying, yay, Nicole's saying exactly what I've always wanted to tell these other students here. Like, it's okay for us to talk about stuff. It's okay for us to look differently. It's okay for us to say that we came from a hard background, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that there's just a little bit more, um, a, a little bit more of a group that's vocal about these things and more real than I've seen maybe 10 years ago when I spoke for you, it was almost just more like everyone was so scared. Yeah. They just wanted to be what they felt like they were supposed to be. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. that. <laughs> nice. Nicole, one of the things that we find is that um, the work that you're doing in Cambodia right now, uh, against uh, human trafficking and particularly sex trafficking is probably one of the most, um, I, I, I don't want to call it popular, the most uh, interesting or motivating area of social justice for so many of our students and the young adults that we're seeing. Um, and as a citizen, I often get overwhelmed by all of the different opportunities for uh, working towards change in our broken world. Mm-hmm. If you were to tell someone that has a full-time job that's raising kids, that's trying to be a, a, a good citizen thriving in their community, what they could do about uh, issues of human trafficking, what would you say? Like, what, what, how does the normal person make a difference? Yeah. The average person, the average citizen, that's... without without flying to Cambodia? Yeah, and I think um, personally, the biggest thing they can do is support the people who are doing it. Nice. You know, mm-hmm. support the people who are on the front lines like me. I mean... I'm willing to go, 
And I can't do it without, you know, Jan and Sue and Bob and Steve, who are doing their amazing jobs here, taking care of their families, you know, doing important things here in the States. I can't do my work without their help. Right. So, you know, whether that means doing fundraising for, um, you know, nonprofits like mine, just little things or helping raise awareness, just having conversations on their street, you know, mm-hmm. when their kids are out playing in the cul-de-sac and you just bring it up like, hey, I watched this video the other night about human trafficking or I have a friend who goes to Cambodia every year and she does this. I it was just so cool. I just saw a post that she did on Facebook. And so have you ever heard about human trafficking? Did you know it happens here in our, our, our community too? You know, these yeah. are important things. These are just conversations that you can have to raise awareness, to talk about it, you know, not pushing it under the rug. Um, and then maybe you do a local street block bake sale for your nonprofit of choice. You right. know, it's just the little things that you can do to support Um the causes that you care about and then also just being a voice because once we're, we stop talking about it, we've really reached a problem. So yeah. being a part of the solution is, is, is being a voice and, and supporting those who are on the front lines, I think. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And you mentioned that ha- having the conversation, you know, we talked about these stories that seem fictional almost, especially when they're around the globe. But the fact that human trafficking takes place in our own first world country and some people don't even think about that so yeah that's exactly right yeah our nonprofit, we we do work here in columbus ohio as well we are uh we provide like hope bags just full of like basic needs for women who are coming off the street here in columbus and there's about a thousand who are trafficked here every single night Mm -hmm. and so many of them get arrested and that's when we come in with love and we say you can enter a program and get help or you can go to jail and um so if they choose to go through the program we partner with them right and nice. provide them just with lots of goodie bags and love and um notes and things like that so yeah it's happening right here in your backyards yeah what's that program called in columbus the one in columbus is called catch court okay. nice. nice we partner with them on a monthly basis and uh, we support the women there and a few months ago, we provided a spa day for about 60 women here wow. who come out of sex trafficking and um, are working to rebuild their lives. So that was really exciting. Yeah. It's it, it really is fascinating how much of the um, trafficking issues domestically are uh, systemic. I actually worked last year uh, in the publication of CPJ's book, Unleashing Opportunity. And in that book, they have an entire chapter that focuses on the foster care to trafficking uh, pipeline, they call it. And what they do is they try to offer different ways in which the citizen can get involved with being advocates for uh, kids in the foster system to help stop that part of the pipeline. So like you're saying, there are these systemic issues that lead to trafficking. Like this isn't just, this isn't just a person who makes, you know, a quote unquote bad decision and finds themselves in, uh, you know, being pimped out. But it's really there. There are systems within our society that we can work to change that uh, enhance and, and uh, encourage uh, trafficking exactly right. in our own cities. So yes, yeah, yeah, nice. Nicole, one of the things that we talk often about uh, through Storied Living, and Keith and I wrote in our own book, is this idea that every 
every one of our practices emerges from a story about reality. And then we ask people, you know, what story are you being influenced by? And, and knowing who you are, and even just in our conversation today, it's clear that your story is influenced by, by the truths in the scriptures, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are one or two ways where you see that manifested in your everyday life as a as an author, as a speaker, um, as somebody that's fighting human trafficking, as a mom, as a wife, where do you see one or two ways that your story is is being lived out of the out of the truths of the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think of two storylines. I think um, the first one is I just I always relate to the story in the gospel where um there were friend four friends that carried a man a paralyzed man on a mat mm. to Jesus and you know Jesus had been preaching and he entered this house and it was so full everyone was there to see him and they couldn't even open the door and so these friends they knew that to get this guy healing that they had to get him to Jesus they knew that Jesus was the healer and so they had to get creative and persistent and They climbed up on the roof with this guy and busted a hole through the roof and then just delivered this guy on a mat to the feet of Jesus um, right there in the midst of where all these people were um, trying to get to him. And I just I'm really influenced by that story. It really um, it makes me want to be creative in my own work and to think of ways to help people get to Jesus, to get the healing, to get the hope that they deserve. Um, and that, that's available, you know, he's available. This hope, this healing is available to all of us. We just have to figure out how to get all these people to him and everybody's story is different. You know, healing is a lifelong journey. You know, every, you know, background of abuse or, or hurt or whatever you've experienced in your life is different. And so your background is going to make your journey to Jesus look differently. So it just makes me want to be more creative, like those friends in the gospel, um, in how to reach different people. I speak at state colleges. I speak at Christian schools. I speak at churches. In two weeks, I'm going to Facebook headquarters. I'm speaking to these brilliant minds that want to hear nothing about the Lord. Um, so I speak wow. to so many different crowds. And that story makes me realize that, you know, wherever I go, I can point people to Jesus. It's just going to look differently each place I go. So tailoring my message and things like that. Um, the second story that I think I'm influenced by is just how Jesus meets people right where they are. You know, he loves them so incredibly deep just as he finds them. And then he calls them to follow him to this higher place. You know, he's taken something in my life that is so shameful and ugly and should never be spoken about. But he's used it to not only bring me healing and purpose, but to do that in thousands of lives, you know, all over the world. Mm. So that redemption story influences me that mercy and grace influences me to bring that same experience to other people you know whether it's college students that I meet when I step off the stage or to my own children or you know to friends who are going through their own silent struggles Um, I think that that's the other story that really impacts me of just how Jesus interacts yeah amazing awesome uh, that was going to be sort of the last question, but you dropped the bomb that you're going to Facebook headquarters. So I can't not ask you about yeah, that. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, I am so stoked. Like, it's going to be crazy. 
Oh, so yeah, I was invited to do a safety series on the campus of Facebook headquarters in California. Um, just sharing my story and the stories of other survivors, um, and just empowering them to want to make a difference to keep the world a safer place and just to understand what's going on out there. They, um, they actually have a team at Facebook that, uh, reviews everything on Facebook to know if it's child exploitation or not. And mm. it's very difficult because there's a lot of that out there. Right. This team is, you know, they get run down and they mm. wonder if their job even matters. And so I want to really empower them to know that there's real stories and real faces that they're protecting every day. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I'm really excited. Wow. Yo. Yeah, that is cool. Tell, tell Zuckerberg to write me back. Cause I've been waiting for a while. <laughs> um, you know, and that, that, that um, last point that you said could, could lead into a lot of conversation. Um, I used to work with a small group of men around uh, porn addiction at the college that I work at. And one of the things that we would talk about often is the effect of uh, pornography on trafficking as well. And it's great to hear that um, that Facebook is actually, you know, being more proactive than I would have thought there being around that around that issue. Because one of the things we used to talk about is, hey, this this porn industry is, you know, there, there are victims like you supporting the porn industry is also supporting the trafficking, uh, industry as well, which is heartbreaking. Yes. Yep. You're exactly right. Nicole, thanks so much. This has been fabulous. Uh, it's great to hear your story and we are just so pleased that you're being, being brave in this world and brave enough to talk with our listeners as well. Where can people go to find you? Where do you want us to send people to see what you're up to? Yeah, my my website is iamonevoice.org. So you can find pretty much everything there, my books and, you know, what I'm up to. And then soon there will be a link to my other website, which you can go directly to right now. The nonprofit anti-trafficking website is onevoice, spelled out, then the number four, freedom.org, onevoice4freedom.org. Great. We'll put those in the show notes as well and uh, and a link to the podcast that you're going to start soon. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nicole. It was a pleasure to have you today. Thanks, guys. If you want to know more about what Nicole's up to, take some time and go check out those resources that she shared in the interview. Or also, you can check them out in our show notes. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope you join us again. If you like the show, please take a moment and leave it a review in iTunes or your preferred podcasting app, and we hope to have you again next week for Storied Living.